Assalamu alaikum and welcome to Sukoon, a Muslim wellness podcast by Nazimko. My name is Farhana Kasmali and I will be your host through this journey we take together towards holistic wellness within an Islamic framework. Over the course of the next year, we will be speaking to 12 community leaders, experts, and mental health and wellness professionals who will enrich us with their healing words, stories, and personal journeys on the path to wellness. So verily, with every difficulty, there is relief. Verily, with every difficulty, there is relief. Surah Anshara, verse 5 through 6. Join me every month as we begin these essential conversations to promote our community's well-being and healing, and to begin to unravel the ways in which we as a community can heal individually, internally, and also collectively in unity. Please note this episode contains themes of depression, anxiety, and other potentially triggering discussions. If you or someone you know is in crisis or in need of support, please look to our show notes for resources. This episode, I'm really honored to introduce our guest for this month, Sheikh Nabil Awan. Sheikh Nabil was born and raised in Peterborough, England. He started his journey into Islamic studies in 2004 in the holy city of Qum. He holds both a bachelor's and a master's degree in psychology, and he has served as an elected city councillor for the Labour Party from 2011 to 2016. He has previously served as the resident alum for the Al Zahra Center in Nottingham and Bethel Qayyim Center in Bradford. He's also an avid practitioner and instructor of Wing Chun Kung Fu. He is also the founder of Operation 313, a camp aimed at teaching bushcraft and wilderness survival techniques. He has been speaking for over 17 years in massages around the world. Welcome, Sheikh Nabil. Assalamu alaikum. Thank you very much. How are you? Yeah, of course. Thank you for taking the time. So first off, I think the one question I got from everyone when I told them I was interviewing you is to talk about the Wing Chun Kung Fu practice, um, if I pronounce that correctly. (laughs) So could you discuss it and how did you get into it? How long you've been doing it? Um, yeah, so Bismillah ar-Rahman ar-Rahim. Um, so martial arts I've been doing since I was uh, around seven years old. Uh, I've done various martial arts over the years. Um, interestingly, my martial arts journey started uh, in the in the masjid in the Imam Barga, where we used to have uh, an uncle who used to teach us, um, and he's still teaching. Uh, so I started off there with like basic karate, kickboxing. Uh, then over the years, I've done taekwondo. I've done traditional boxing. I've done Chinese boxing. I've done uh, Tongji Gong, Sanda, um, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu. And then for the last uh, sort of 13 years, I've been practicing Wing Chun Kung Fu, um, which is a, a close quarter combat uh, fighting style. Um, so yeah, um, I, I've always, I've always loved martial arts. Um, I'm not one that's into, uh, football or soccer as you guys call it. Um, and so my passions always lied in, uh, in being part of some sort of, you know, uh, martial art. Um, and so, yeah, the last 10 years, uh, Wing Chun has been there. It's a, it's a fairly known and unknown like people don't know it by its name but people would know some of its very famous practitioners like bruce lee master yip man uh bruce lee initially learnt uh wing chun and then from that he developed his uh, jikundo uh 
so yeah, so that's a little bit about the martial yeah. arts side. Okay. I'm not familiar with it at all. So I just kind of kind of know what's on TV every now and then. But other than that, it's not it's not quite on my radar. Has it helped you in your mental health at all? Or is it just kind of for physical fitness? No, I think martial arts as a whole um, help you both uh, mentally, spiritually, and uh, sort of socially. Um, the spiritual side of it is that um, at least in Tezkirt and Nafs, in the in religious aspect, we're always talking about controlling the self, controlling the self, never being a victim to anger, never getting the red mist, you know, that tunnel vision where every bit of decorum goes out the window and you just let yeah. loose on someone. Uh, whereas uh, doing a martial art, what actually, what it does is it removes um, that adrenaline uh, dump that you get in the in a conflict situation um so it allows yeah. you to still be very calm uh with no sort of tunnel vision red mist uh, and you're in control so yeah i think it helps you both spiritually and um you know socially and mentally as well you know um exercise generally with all the uh with all its benefits as well is extremely useful to keep one's mind clear, especially with a schedule like mine, where I'm constantly on the, on the move um, from one place to another. I need something where I can just sort of go and uh, de-stress. So either that's the gym or that's the dojo. Yeah. Is it mostly practiced by men or is it both men and women? <laughs> Interestingly, the history of Wing Chun is actually Wing Chun is the name of a lady uh, oh. who uh, was in, so sort of set in olden times China, uh, and a local warlord came to her village to take over, and he wanted to take her uh, in marriage, and she refused. So she he killed his love rival, as it were, and she fled into the forest away from him. And in the forest, she met a monk who had developed a fighting style uh, that, he, oh, that he had developed after observing a crane and a snake fighting with each other. Uh, and so he taught her this martial art uh, and she went back and uh, she fought the warlord. She beat him. Uh, and then she went on to teach her family members, some say that her lover wasn't killed, so she taught him, they got married and whatever. And then after her death, he carried on teaching it, and he named it after her. And her name was Wing Chun. Oh, okay. <laughs> so, that's yeah. an interesting so, so that's the legend behind it. Yeah. Yeah. So today it's meant for it's a, mostly... smaller, a smaller opponent to take on a larger uh, assailant, uh, a smaller person to take on a larger opponent, even. So many of our listeners know you've been traveling quite a bit over the last couple of months. What's that been like and where have you been? Um, so last couple of months has been mostly England and Canada. The vast majority in the Ayami Azar was spent uh, in Canada. Uh, generally used to be in the U.S., but, uh, you know, <laughs> that <laughs> into yeah. the U.S. has now become a problem. Uh, so yeah. now uh, Canada is where I usually spend uh, a lot of the uh, Ayami Azar. Uh, and so uh, the last almost two months have been practically living out of a suitcase, flying from one city to another. 
Um, so, yeah, most of it was in Canada. Yeah. And how was Canada for you? Alhamdulillah, it's nice. I mean, I enjoy meeting new people. This time I went to like a lot of the smaller communities rather than the more established, larger communities uh, on the East okay. Coast. So I went into the prairies. I went to Winnipeg. I went to Edmonton, oh. you know. Um, so that was, uh, was a, a really interesting experience to see the, the various dynamics of those communities, their demographics, the various challenges that they're facing. Because um, there are, yeah. although there are a lot of similarities, but then there are some major local nuances uh, that you find in in certain places, depending on the demographics of that population. Yeah, and you were also in Dar a few. Was it a few years back? Uh, yeah. So pretty much moved well, there. Yeah. So Shah Ramadan, I, I was there. Sorry for Muharram uh, first ten nights, and then after that. Um, it was sort of January, February, maybe two years ago. I were I was yeah. there for about four months, so I moved across there. Uh, yeah, again, and how that was that for you? Another, another very interesting experience. Alhamdulillah, <laughs> uh, a thoroughly enjoyable one. Before someone misinterprets yeah. that to mean something else, it was a thoroughly enjoyable oh. situation, uh, and I, uh, I, you know, I really liked the experience actually, and uh, made a lot of good friends out there. Um, a yeah. lot of work, alhamdulillah. We had the opportunity to do a lot of different things. So it was uh, it was really good. Yeah. So you've seen kind of the Eastern communities and the Western communities. Um, what's your kind of pulse on how everything is going? Like, did you see similar issues between the two? Or do you think they're different? Mm. Um, so I guess... When it comes to um, East and West, there's not really that much of a difference anymore in terms of at least young people and uh, uh, their issues. Because of um, social media, the internet and WhatsApp and everything, it really has become a, a global village. And so many of the issues that I see in the West, I saw in Dubai or I saw in Da, and it was all about sort of, and much of it is around that uh, keeping up with the Joneses and being able to, you know, meet expectations and sometimes um, expectations that are unnecessary or over the top um, in many cases. Um, so, yeah, the, there are obviously small cultural nuances uh, you know, Dar is much more traditional. It's much more rooted in its uh, its cultural origins as opposed to the uh, more Western communities. But nonetheless, uh, the overarching issues are everywhere. Yeah. You mentioned that it was kind of for young people. What would you define that age bracket as? Is that like kind of the <laughs> teens, the 20s? Like, I feel like no. everyone is kind of struggling yeah, so, you know, um, it's a funny thing, you know, uh, even now, um, you know, when you go to centres that I haven't had English before, uh, and there are yeah. centres in the West that have never had English, if you could believe really? it or not. Uh, um, yeah, and, um, and so when you go to those centres, there's the first time you go, they're always like, uh, and so we have a majlis for the children, and you're like, 
I can't relate to yeah. children. <laughs> like, really. Yeah. Like, and they've got all these five-year-olds lining up like, oh, we got you an English lecturer. <laughs> like, uh, okay. Uh, and so uh, of quite a few centers, I've just said to them, like, if they put it on, like, oh, oh uh, majlis for the children, I say, look, I'm sorry. Like, this majlis is for everyone. Yeah. It's not just your children. Um, if you're going to say children, then, you know, I, I can't relate to them. So when I when I yeah. talk about uh, young people in my context, uh, I, I'm speaking from the age of sort of 15 to 40, 45. That I mean, that okay. huge 30 year gap, because that's the those are the ages that I can relate with. Although as every month goes past, you know, the, the bottom number seems to rise up because <laughs> I just can't keep up with the with all the new things that are that are coming out yeah it's a totally different generation sometimes you really feel it as the years go by yeah yeah Um, yeah. so I'm just um, like I don't understand half of this how do you relate to the youth then like I'm I'm presuming you do have like youth sessions and like stuff like that when you go visit different communities that are yeah. geared towards that like 16 to 22 or whatever that younger group so how do you how are you finding it relating to them and what are their like major issues that you see so i have a, a very <laughs> i have a very different approach when it comes to certain things it, it, at least uh with the boys and sometimes you know with the sisters as well but it, it, it's more like okay uh, they'll start off with, oh, it's too hard to do this, and oh, we can't, and can we do this? Can we bend the rules here? Can we do that? And I'm like, no. Uh, and the reason is, and I said to him, look, you can try it with your parents, and you can yeah. try it with someone else that may come, but there is no way in hell you're going to sit there and tell me it's too difficult to live in the West. I grew up here. I've done business here. I've done politics here. I've I've done I've gone through every bit of society, and I've done my yeah. uni. I've done everything, and I've managed to stay away from uh, the the major vices of this society. Um, and so you can't sit there and tell me, oh, it's too difficult because I've been there and done that. So I'm more of a like a reality check type of person. Yeah. When I uh, when I meet with them um yeah. and uh, and the reason and I and I do actually you know even in da uh, one of the major things that was coming up with the young people especially those that were set to come to uh the west uh for their studies the number one question I was getting every single session I would hold with them was uh, can I hide the fact that I'm Shia I'm like, why do you want to hide it? And they're like, oh, because oh, it's, you know, Salafi. And then they'd spend a good hour and a half figuring out ways of how they could hide the fact that they're Shia. What if the person says this? Then I'll say, and I listened and I listened. And then in the end, I just said to them, why are you hiding the fact that you're Shia? And they're like, oh, no, because, you know, it'll cause us issues. And I don't know, nobody causes you issues. Like, okay, fine, yeah. you go and start turning up to a Salafi area and you're going to start, uh, you know, uh, telling them you're openly Sunni. Maybe someone might come and say something to you. Or uh, openly Shia, yeah. sorry. And, you, and maybe someone may come and say something to you. But uh, by and large, that's not the problem. The problem here is because you've been, you've lived in such a bubble and you've been so insular, um, you're afraid of the other. And you're afraid of, 
yeah. coming face to face with someone who could challenge this half-baked notion you have of your religion. So the only way that you're going to be able to get rid of this fear is that you learn about your religion. Um, and so, you know, I like to do that sort of reality checking um, yeah. with people uh, because, you know, sometimes I, I just think people are, you know, there's, there's a time and a place for softness and there's a time and a pay, place that you learn how to flow. And again, this is a martial arts reference because <laughs> Wing Chun yeah. is you never fight force with force. You absorb yeah. the force take it in and you give back not only that force, but you add your force to it. And so you learn how to right. flow. It's the famous uh, Bruce Lee quote of be like water. Yeah, Don't confine yourself. Learn to flow around life's problems yeah. and obstacles. Don't just try and remove it. Um, and so a lot of times, you know, when you when you come across your people, you have to be, um, you have to be very, sort of light water and flow around because people will throw the most random things uh, and the most random notions at you. Um, and so you have to very quickly uh, realize, okay, what frequency is this person tuned into right now? And where are they coming yeah. from? Uh, and are they genuinely trying to trip me up uh, or uh, are they actually trying to learn? Um, and so I'm very sort of, when it comes to that, if I realize that someone, all they need is like a quick, um, <laughs> you know, sort of uh, a slap and a wake up, uh, I'll just be like, hey, reality check time. Um, yeah. But then obviously you have people that are genuinely, they need a uh, someone who's less harsh, someone who understand them. And so you have to adapt very quickly to that um, need of theirs. Um, but yeah, so most of the time I, I like to think, that you know, I, uh, I'm harsh but fair, but you know, not not in a not in a malicious way. Yeah. What if one of the younger generations pushes back on you and says, "Well, you may have done it, but you didn't grow up in our time with all the things that they have to fight." Whether it's that 13, they're on social media and phones. What if someone were to push back on you and say, "It's not quite the same." As when you like, up. what do you think that all of a sudden I grew up now and my nafs is gone? <laughs> like I've got the same phone as you. I've got the same temptations yeah. as you. That that, that does yeah. not fly. Like you can tell me, however, you can go blue in your face and tell me, oh no, it's not yeah. the same for you. We've got a whole different. No, it's a lot easier for you because you have access uh, and yeah. you become more insular anyway. You, it's not as if people yeah. go out and they start to uh, social. Kids nowadays just sit around all day on their phones in their rooms, uh, even if they're in a house. You know, people are just sitting around on their phones, texting each other rather than talking. Um, and so, you know, everyone is not like they have to actually face a physical threat. Uh, whereas when yeah. we were growing up in this area, you know, you, you had a physical threat you know, from racists and you had those sort of uh, people that were around it. And, you know, uh, and nothing compared to when my dad first came to the uh, the UK. So, uh, you know, these Doesn't these work. things, you know, people try and worm their way out of it, but it's just a cop-out. Uh, and uh, so you have to tell people, like, hey, come on, you know. <laughs> yeah. I don't believe yeah. it. Uh, but okay. if you really are struggling, we'll talk you through each stage. Just tell me exactly what you're struggling with. 
Yeah. And what what are the issues of the youth? Um, you mentioned the fear of letting people know you're Shia, maybe more in Dar, but on this side, what do you think like younger generations are struggling? And the, the same token, the the 20s and the 30s, what are they struggling yeah. with? You know, the misguidance of uh, shaitan has always been the same, although it's become more advanced. Um, I was saying in a few lectures um, a couple of days ago that shaitan uh, is like, obviously he is a jinn, and jinn, like human beings, progress uh, and they learn. So the shaitan of today is very different to the shaitan of a thousand years ago. He's learned new techniques, new ways, new snares to try and misguide the followers of Ahlul Bayt. And so um, the the issues are the same in terms of temptation and things like that. But that that temptation manifests in different ways, right? Um, It'll either come in the form of uh, phones and their their conversations that they're having. Um, But, you know, a lot of... Uh, there's a lot of issues of self-esteem, I think, um, in many of the of the young people. Not so much uh, in England, uh, but I found a lot of that in Dubai, in the community in Dubai. There was a lot of uh, issues, especially in the, the sisters, issues of self-esteem, of not being good enough. Um, in the UK and sort of North America, uh, a lot of the issues really are um, of the of the wider temptations of society. You know, it's how can I be Muslim and live in this world? You know, what if I don't go to a place that serves alcohol? What if I... And, you know, a lot of that is becoming stronger. There was a, there was a period where there was a, a lot of uh, Shia pride, as it were, not not pride in that sense, but, you know, sort of uh, proud of being Shia. Yeah, um, the good and, pride. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, uh, uh, proud of being Shia. And you yeah. and you sort of were, you were strong in that. And now to some extent, you know, those youth bodies have sort of uh, moved away and stuff. And, you know, we're dealing with issues of, sort of culture versus religion, where are the boundaries of culture? Um, Like I was saying, I remember in Winnipeg to some of the parents that, you know, culture's boundaries are, uh, sorry, uh, religion's boundaries are way out past where we think they are. And the boundaries of culture are like tiny. They're in, uh, you know, maybe a mile uh, from the boundary of uh, uh, the religion. And then we make our kids like in there. And so the moment they start fighting against culture, they think they're fighting against religion. And then you end up like them becoming atheists or them becoming, you know, sort of, uh, you know, nothing to do with the religion. And they think that their issue is the religion, but actually it's not. Their issue was always with uh, the culture. Yeah. Yeah, there is um in North America, I, I think it's called the ex-Muslims of North America, something like that. And I do know if she is in the group and I just wonder what happened. And it's probably something mm. to do with that. It just was confined. And I just, you know, you feel so bad for them because of what the, they've lost by proudly saying, denouncing the faith. Yeah. Um, I'm not sure if that's a problem worldwide. Yeah. I mean, uh, you know, in more 
um, conservative societies, people will tend to hide it. You know, they may not, it may just manifest as not praying. But in more liberal societies or more Western societies, you know, where there's the support mechanism, then they sort of rise mm-hmm. up and start finding issues. And then sometimes you're like, oh, really? That's not even an issue. That's not even a ruling, you know, like, yeah. what are you talking about? <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, yeah. that's, uh, it, it, is a, it is a big issue. I think the scary part, I think for some people, like being Shia, like, I don't think I have this fear, but somewhere in the back of my mind, I always wonder, like, if I tell a non-Muslim that I'm Shia, if they look it up, like, if they Google it, they're going to find, like, Zanjir or, like, a scary picture of, you know, someone from Iran, and I'm going to have to explain that or something, you know, it's just that kind of, not reputation of Shias, but when you say Shia, you think Iran, and if you don't know anything, you'll think extreme. Does that make sense? Yeah, I mean, like, there's there's not really anything that you can do to change that, right? Um, whatever the geopolitical situation not. is, or the way the the uh, the searches have been indexed to bring up certain things against the followers of Ahlul Bayt, um, you know, to make them look in a bad light, that that will always always be there. But you have to make sure that the person that you tell uh, you're a Shia. Uh, the reason mm-hmm. you're telling them is because they're actually interested based upon your impeccable character um, mm. and, you know, your religious observance. Like, hey, what is this thing that's got you uh, being such a good person and uh, being so observant? And then when they come back and if they know you to be approachable, they'll be like, hey, whoa, I went and I saw all of this stuff. And then you can like break it down and be like, okay, look, this is not that, you know, it's a whole different um, uh, thing. You know, one thing is what the media shows you. and The other thing is the reality. Yeah, for sure. I think that's the like non-Muslim side of things. But I know even with Ahlul Sunnah, I have really good Sunni friends who know that I'm Shia, who, you know, know when I observe Muharram and all that. But then you wonder, like, there are some Ahlul Sunnah that are like, look, why can't you just stay kind of quiet about this? Like, like practice it in your home, but you don't need to be loud about it. Like when the New Year started, when Islamic New Year Muharram, on Instagram, there were a ton of happy New Year, happy New Year. And, you know, Ashura became a celebration because they said it was in reference, I think, to Prophet Musa. And all of this is coming up now that we're just like, this was not here, like maybe yeah, like yeah. five years ago. Yeah, yeah. I mean, not this that. is this is all a concerted effort to detract from the tragedy of Karbala. That regardless, and many Sunni ulama have actually stood up against this because this year they moved the date of the commemoration of the Shahadat of Omar, the second Khalifa to the second of Muharram. And many mainstream Sunni okay. scholars stood up against this and said, why are you trying to detract from the event of Karbala? Whereas the death of Omar, it is known, was during Dhul Hijjah. Um, and so there was this big uh, sort of movement you know, in uh, many of the Sunni scholars to say, wait, hold on, what are we doing here? Because there is this yeah. thing that uh, Ashura, Karbala is is a Shia thing. And, you know, we've got to make sure that Sunnis are stop, uh, stop observing it. But, you know, much of my family is Sunni and they observe the ayam of uh, yeah. uh, the first 10 nights at least. Um, and there are many like uh, in Pakistan, back home and things, where there's a lot of Sunnis that take part in the gatherings. 
of uh, yeah. Muharram and uh, the Ashura. Though they may not do Matam or stuff, but they come, they cry, they listen to the Majlis. Uh, they have their own uh, mannats. You know, I saw it in Da, Hindu ladies coming yeah. into the Jews yeah. because they have, been, yeah. they have been granted children based on yeah. a mannat that they made at the previous year. So, you know, uh, Imam Hussein is for, is for everyone. Um, and, you know, this whole, oh, why can't you be quiet about Ashura? Why can't you be, you know, Ayatollah Amini, alayhi, the writer of Al-Ghadir, he was once asked by a Sunni scholar, he says, why are you making so much noise about Ashura? You know, like, you guys need to, okay, it happened, that's fine. Why do you have to make it such yeah. a big deal? And Ayatollah Amini said that we fear that you will make the Ummah forget the day of Ashura, like you made them forget the day of Ghadir. And so this is why we uh, talk so openly about the event of Ashura. And now, you know, they, they've even moved to like trying to make Yazid, the Sahabi and Radiallahu uh, an, you know, and may God be pleased with them. Like, what, what are we talking about here? You know, uh, <laughs> classical Sunni scholars accepted the fact that Yazid was non-Muslim based upon his his poem that he recited with the head of Imam Hussein. لعبت Hashim bil mulk That this was all a game that Bani Hashim played for kingdom. Uh, no angel came and no wahi was received and so from that they said no he's become kafir now he's denied the whole wahi he's denied the prophethood he's denied everything yeah. um, but now there's this revival of oh no no let's just bring him in as well um, and I think Ibn Taymiyyah he famously said in one of his books that don't bring up or mention the event of Ashura because it will create hatred of the Sahaba. Um, and why is that? You know, because there were many there who were Ashab of the Prophet, who had seen the Prophet, but they were still willing to kill the grandson of the Holy Prophet. Yeah. It's just so scary that that's. Like they knew he was the grandson and it still happened. Like I can't even imagine. Yeah, yeah, of course. I mean, you know, and there's a number of different reasons, and Imam Hussein salam, gives those reasons himself on why it happened, what you know, what was the reason for it. Um yeah. and it and it's a, it's it builds up over the years, you know, um, that yeah. it comes to that point, that culmination. Yeah. No, it's an important reminder that we need to know our history. We need to know the stories. We need to know the details. We can't just go listen to a few lectures every year, check back out, and think that it'll yeah. be okay. If we lose our history, we lose our story, and then we lose who we are very quickly. Yeah, yeah, of, um, course. of course. Just, um, just to pivot, what? so when you were going around Canada, what were kind of the top issues that you saw with youth? Because recently what I've been seeing is a lot of, difficulties maybe with suicide, with depression, with single motherhood, with, you know, horrible mistreatment of people within the community, but everyone stays quiet because we don't want to cause a fuss. Um, yeah. Have you seen some major issues? Have people come to you privately that you could speak about without losing, you know, anyone's trust or mm. maybe things that have come out publicly? 
Yeah. I mean, there's there's been a very, um, uh, what do we say, <laughs> saucy couple of months with the uh, uh, with the rumor mills and the the exposés on uh, on social social media, um, and so and obviously there's a lot of things. Uh, one of those things that you mentioned is single mothers um, and the demonization of. single mothers or not just the demonization but the sort of the expectation that a a divorcee or a, a widowed lady or a single mother will instantly or should instantly be ready to get married uh, and i think that you know brings such a massive amount of undue pressure yes getting married is good but ultimately it is a sunnah It's also something that's wajib. And and the person who's already been through this situation um, needs to reach a point of healing themselves before they can go in. But, you know, what we tend to do is find, you know, the, the most ugliest guy who still hasn't been able to get married and we present them to these ladies and be like, hey, uh, maybe you should get married because now you're divorced with the mom and you got nothing, uh, sorry, you're divorced <laughs> with the kid, you got nothing going for you. So, you know, this guy, you know, so I think, you know, just culturally, Um, even the Emma talk about like there has to be some level of physical attraction and things there. You know, look for these physical attributes as well as Iman. Iman is first and foremost. But, you know, if the yeah. person you're there and you're just like, ah, you know what? <laughs> yeah, great Iman, but, you know, uh, everything else yeah, isn't I there. Think, uh, yeah, I think there's so a I lot think, of that, you know, yeah. well, she'll be desperate enough to take anyone. Whereas it's yeah. almost the opposite because you've worked so hard to get yourself back to a place of peace and you're like I'm ready for something amazing now I know what doesn't work and then you're just mm. left with a lot of not yeah. so great options yeah 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 I mean so that that's definitely one of the the issues that we've seen um there's a lot of I was shocked um issues with sort of domestic violence and domestic abuse um that we have um And, you know, generally, you know, we'd heard of like the emotional abuse and, you know, a, a husband that's or a wife that's checked out of the relationship, you know, sort of emotionally and they're not there. But then I'm shocked with the amount of sort of physical abuse, but then like some really vile levels of abuse as well that are happening in some marriages. Um, and, you know, and that sort of stuff was like, wow, okay, this is a real reality check because we've we've fallen. so badly right now um uh, in in that in terms of that then um we've also got like this whole spate of like like total pivot again um but uh, things like vaping vaping in young people it's massive the um, the effect of nicotine on uh, a young person's mind um there's a really yeah. good uh, podcast on it by Andrew Huberman that he he speaks about um uh, the effects of nicotine on neural pathways um and before the age of 15 it, it can you know uh, change those pathways significantly um and yeah. what people don't realize is from a uh, vaping compared to a cigarette uh, a vape uh, is you know the nicotine enters into your bloodstream very quickly much like cocaine or something else like in the same the the speed in which it's taken up and that's why 
you can never have enough. You always want to vape more because you want to feel what you felt the first time. But because you've already altered your neural neural pathways, you're never really going to feel the same hit as you did the first time until yeah. you go up a level, right? So vaping is is a is a big issue that we've also seen. Um, you know, there's there have been issues of sort of um, abuse that have surfaced uh recently as well uh, and i'm sure everyone knows about that um and that's done the rounds um and it's sort of more and more day and day people are coming out with these stories of how and for years how we as a community just pushed it under the rug and and we just sort of no no no, no don't bring this up this is going to cause us disrepute no 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 let's just quietly quietly sort it out amongst ourselves um and and i think that is is shocking that's totally against the spirit of islam that's totally against uh the spirit to, uh, of of humanity of morality um so we have that issue obviously the the elephant in the room is the the lgbtq plus or whatever else they want to add to it issue um that is yeah. that is going on um and you know as far as and a lot of young people just don't know how to deal with that even though they themselves may not be in such way inclined but they're sort of like well, what do we do when we're when we encounter a person with that sort of yeah. orientation and I, and I always say to them look you know every person no matter who they are deserves respect yeah in islam we hate the sin not the sinner and so we will. Yeah. We may find an action reprehensible, and we may say, "Okay, look, you know what you're doing is haram." But if that person comes up to you and says hello, or they say hi, or they need, you know, sort of help, you'll go and help them. Obviously, you know, you won't make them your best friend because, in the same way that you wouldn't make any type of open sinner your best friend, but that doesn't stop yeah. them from being any less human, right? Um, and so yeah. I think we need to sort of understand that part a lot as well. Like, how do we deal? Okay, yeah, look, okay, fine. You're you're that way inclined, and you know, it is what it is. It's a free society. As long as you don't try it on with me, I, I'm okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> so, so whatever no, you do in the privacy uh, of your own home is is your own business. Yeah. No, it's really good to hear speakers like yourself kind of bringing these issues up on the member because we've, I think, swept it under the rug for so long that people are now in just very dire situations. You see people later in, in a later stage in life suffering because they never got to speak openly about, well, I suffered from depression and I never, I wasn't allowed to talk about it. Um, yeah. So it's really good yeah, that I mean, we're having. Yeah. This. The mental health thing is, is again... It's another thing. I mean, I generally, I won't speak about it from the member. Um, and that's because, obviously, I have already have two degrees in psychology. And because I understand the complexity of the issue, I, yeah. I make it a point that I do not give any sort of, like, oh, if you've got anxiety, if you've got depression, go into Sajda, recite this 10 times, and you'll be sorted. If you've got depression, this issue. No, I always make the distinction yeah between a clinical condition and a non-clinical condition. If you have a clinical condition, you need medication. Like, you know, you need medication, and alongside that, you do your da'a. If it's a non uh 
clinical condition, then yes. I mean, one of the most effective addiction programs we have in the world is uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, and it's a faith-based intervention. It's purely faith-based. And so, yes, if it's a non-clinical condition, then yes, we do have evidence to support a faith-based clinical intervention that we can give that person through du'a, through understanding uh, the religion. You know, like mindfulness meditations. The the uh, the religion has been saying tafakkur, ponder, do meditate for um, an hour's yeah. meditation is worth more than a hundred years worth of worship. You know, the religion is talking. Yeah, an hour. I couldn't meditate for an hour. You couldn't? So, no. So, this is, so you have to push yourself. <laughs> My it, mind would about, go in like the first yeah. five minutes. Yeah. So, then that's how, that's where you start. You got to go to your five minutes and okay. then you keep at the five minutes for two weeks and then you increase it to eight minutes and then you keep okay. going until you eventually get to a point where you're now meditating or you're contemplating for for an hour and most of these guided meditations as well are like 25 minutes 30 minutes where the person's talking to you and they're taking you yeah. sort of sit by a pool and watch this leaf fall and follow the leaf and yeah. play your mind and watch your thoughts walk past you you know that sort of stuff so it's that but yeah non-clinical <laughs> interventions are very effective with certain disorders but without knowing the nuance of someone's issue you can't just give them advice and so we have a lot of pressure from people who are like oh we should hear more about mental health of the member and, blah, blah, blah. and you're like yeah. come on this is really bad because if off the member i say you need to go and put your head in sajda and a hundred times say and allah will cure your depression because of your lack of faith this is why allah is uh, put you in this situation and then this person goes home and does it nothing happens and they end up committing suicide because now they definitely it's confirmed for them because nabila wan said if you do this 100 you'll be cured but now they've done it they haven't been cured so it's confirmed that god doesn't even love them at all right and so that's yeah. that's where the problem lies and people are so short-sighted when they come to it. And a lot of speakers as well, I disagree, when they get on the member and they start speaking about these things. Because it's a it's a really delicate, delicate uh, situation that you can't just give generalized advice. Yeah. Yeah. You also can't give generalized advice of anxiety and depression doesn't exist, which... I've heard from the member as well. Unfortunately, yeah, that's a that's a straight generalization, isn't it? I mean, like yeah. that becomes really awkward because <laughs> then you're like, oh, yeah. you really don't have a clue what you're talking about. It was awkward. Um, so, how do you think our communities are doing, like physically, with um, our diets? Are we engaged in physical activity? Do you think we should do more of it? Our food intake. I mean. I know as an East African Koja, food is like number one priority for, for our communities. But mm -hmm. do you think we are considering it enough? Do you think it's affecting us negatively? Yeah, Have I mean, uh, physically, spiritually, food has a big role to play. Uh, food yeah. 
has a causal relationship with uh, with your spirituality. The amount you yeah. eat, the type you eat, when you eat, all of this has a knock-on to your spiritual uh, well-being, um, as well as your physical. Um, are we? I think people have become slightly more health conscious over the years, but um, are we taking part in more physical activity? I don't think so. I still get people be, uh, going uh, or saying to me like, oh, you know, martial arts is not for me. Or, oh, I can't go to the wilderness. Like, oh, God, not for me. <laughs> like, you know, uh, any sort of physical activity is sort of repulsive to them. Uh, and so, <laughs> you know, uh, those those elements still exist. Um and it's something that, you know, inshallah will change um, because the whole idea is that you need to be physically active, physically fit, because the zahur of the imam does not just require you to pray 24 hours a day. You know, it does require physical preparation, which we which we also need. Yeah. Um, speaking of people who say they don't want to go to the wilderness, I am that person. Uh, did you want to talk about your wilderness program that you have? I mean, it, it's not really much of a program. It's just a, a camp where we take um, uh, young men, uh, mostly, out of the cities into the um, mountains. And we hire like professionals to train them in basic survival techniques, how to navigate with the stars, how to snare animals, how to hunt, how to gut and cook, how to make emergency shelter, um, what plant, plant identification. So what plants will save you, what plants will kill you, what plants um, will... Uh, uh, you need to sort of avoid medicinal plants and uh, uh, plants that are good for your cooking and stuff like that. Um, so we teach them all of that knife skills as well, how to properly handle a knife, fire making, all of that. So all of that fun stuff that you you talk about, uh, you know, jumping off waterfalls. What's the best way to jump off a waterfall if you're faced with a with a waterfall? Jump for the white water because it will cushion your fall. Uh, all those sort of things. Um, but the, the main aim of it is I found that there were two problems within our communities, or three, actually. This is what brought about Op 313. And that was the first thing is that um, every camp that is held is sort of for all the choir. <clears throat> so all the people that are religiously active already and coming to the centers. And so those on the fringes of the religion probably wouldn't want to come to those sort of camps because... Let's face it, going to a camp and listening to someone lecture you for like three days is probably going to be one of the most boring things in my own life that I'd have to do. I'd just be like, oh, my God, I would die. Um, so if I, as a speaker, were saying, yeah. hey, that's so boring, uh, I don't know yeah. how we're going to draw in people like that. The second thing was that, yes, the element of the intervar was drilled into us from our, uh, from a young age. But the physical intedar was not drilled into us from a young age. Like the actual practical side of it. Like if tomorrow he comes and you're not one of those people that takes a step and ends up next to the imam, then what do you do? 
the whole world has gone to pot. You know, we're in a dystopian yeah. future. Everything is. And so that's one of the basic premises of that that camp. We're like, look, the imam has appeared. The true believers have gone. There's a you've heard of a resistance of the believers in the north. You need to reach yeah. this place along the way. And yeah. you'll be placed with people that you don't know. You've never heard of. You don't know who else is going. You don't know how they're getting there. But all you know, it's mm-hmm. a 14 hour drive to reach this place from London. Um, and then you've got to go and you've got to reach this place. And there you meet all of these people and you have to learn to live with them. Uh, and then you do all the physical activities. So uh, there was the element of that there needs to be a physical intadhar that we we need to have. We need to make it a reality for ourselves. Um, and and then the only the other thing about the physical side of things was we always do things, even if they're physical, uh, they're always sort of mollycoddled, they're sort of cotton wool. Uh, yes, I enjoy that. Thing. Yeah, yeah. I mean, they exactly. Yeah. So this is the problem in modern society, right? Uh, and so we 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 mollycoddle and we we cotton wool ourselves from the reality. Yeah. But what we do, so one day yeah. we'll we'll take them out for this training. We'll give them all the tools that are necessary. The next day, uh, we'd get British Army ration packs. Uh, give it to these uh, all the participants. It's a 24-hour ration pack. It's more than enough calories for 24 hours, like in the thousands of calories. And we take them out into the mountains. Now it's either snowing or it's clear, whatever it is. But either way, the trail that we choose is if you don't have your wits about you, you will die. Uh, yeah. And so there is a very real element of we could get lost. We get lost in this range. We could die. Uh, if we're not paying attention, we could lose someone. And so when that reality sets in for someone, it, it really does work on the group dynamic. Like, And also, because it's a long hike, you know, a person is broken by the end of it. And they're like, and you have to sort of push them past the physical pain barrier to now run on something like the other worst than their camp physical pain on barrier. Earth. <laughs> this it's sounds like the amazing. worst camp on Earth. No, no. Does Uber uh, eat, and then does Uber Eats deliver to where the trail is? Uh, no, no, no. But obviously, we're we're gutting our own fish and eating them, right? I don't want to gut a fish. There's, there's, there's also a supermarket nearby, so you know uh, they they can they can go and get main supplies anyway. But the the point being that they're put into a physical situation where they're told. Now we we give them certain instructions, but they're not told until the end what everything really meant what each activity was meant to do like for example one of them is when we're going on this hike we've set a leader everyone follow him but there's always the overzealous type oh you're walking too slow i'm getting ahead i'll run ahead it's only afterwards we say look the idea of that was if the imam comes and he appoints a general over you and that general may not be doing things what you've you expect of him now you're going to run ahead of him leave in danger the rest of the 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 group for your own desires and it sort of then sinks in and hits people like whoa okay so this is the lesson that we were trying to learn in and amongst all of that pain and potential death um you know because we've been caught in some of the winter ones in major blizzards as well and you've got to really hunker down and think right okay guys what are we doing carry on we could die do we go back? We all want to reach the peak, but if we get to the peak and die, is there any point? Or can we put aside our pride and say, okay, you know what? We'll live to fight another day. 
And so all of these situations are very important in yeah. character building. So the second was was a physical intervert. The third thing that I, and I'm really passionate about it is a, an understanding of your environment. A lot of these city dwellers come out and they've never seen uh, a plant or they've never seen you know what what this particular uh, flower looks like what this particular weed you know many of the things that we now call weeds were essential foods uh back a few hundred years ago here in england stinging nettles we now destroy them we get rid of them but it's a really protein rich plant that's really good for uh, as an anti-inflammatory it's very good for all of these things that people used to make soups out of them before uh in prior in years gone by but now not anymore and so more and more we're sanitizing that which is natural from our environment for especially for you guys in the US for that which is synthetic um you know I, I it always shocks me in the US you buy juice and it's naturally flavored like what the hell what happened <laughs> what happened to your oranges <laughs> that you have to naturally flavor your orange uh so you know uh, all of these things so and the third aspect of that was an understanding of the environment because i think we're horrendous um, with the amount of plastic use. Just look at our uh, Imam Bargaz, our masjids, amount of plastic yeah. we throw away, amount of plastic usage. Yeah. I mean, at the 10 days of Muharram, like we could fill a landfill ourselves. Yes. Um, and we have absolutely zero understanding of it. Um, you look at Muslims and that, look, I want anything but a garden. Like, I want something low maintenance, no flowers, nothing. I just, just someone else come and maintain it. I don't want anything. Whereas, like, Ahlul Bayt had orchards, had gardens, had, yeah. had these sort of things where they would go and they would, it was a, a place of tranquility for them. Um, and we don't have that that understanding. We don't have that culture yeah. in our lives. Um, you know, being green fingered. Is uh, is one of the sunnah of the Imam Ali Muslim, Imam Ali alayhi salam, Imam Hassan, Imam Sadiq, al-Akhir. All of them had, except for the latter Imams that were in Samarra, but the ones in Medina had gardens that they would yeah. tend to. Um, and so they were all gardeners, they were all farmers. Um, but yeah. we ha have moved away from that. And you know, we have so many traditions yeah. about animal rights, about uh, rights of trees and plants. And when you're going to war, it's haram to cut down trees in your path. If you've got animals with you, you know, all of these various things that we have, but we've just, we're just totally out of touch. We live in this synthetic cotton wooled uh, sort of existence that has no semblance of any sort of difficulty. Whereas the dunya itself is about being in some difficulty or another, some physical or social or mental strain, because it is only yeah. through that that you can evolve as a person. Yeah. You know, as a city dweller, um, I <laughs> don't know my trees, but what I will say is that the amount of trash that are mustards, especially in Ramadan, the food wastage, mm. it's just, it's deplorable. It is just terrible like i don't know how to explain it anymore sometimes you know to our mosque yeah. to be like you've got to stop this like this is destroying the earth mm. yeah yeah because yeah. we're, we're all sort of like no no i don't want even like thursday night chai right um how many 
uh, plastic cups are used? How many polystyrene cups? You know, what do we use tea bags or do we use tea leaves? Because tea bags themselves are generally not biodegradable. At least uh, there's a lot of plastic in a tea bag. Um, and the more yeah. expensive tea bags that are biodegradable, nobody wants to buy them because yeah. they're more expensive. Um, yeah. I went to a I nice place. I want to give a shout recipe. out. Yeah. yeah. I, I want to give a shout out to Chelmsford Jamaat. I went to them last week. It's in Essex in England. And they, they okay. actually had proper cups, actual cups. I mean, small Jamaat. So they didn't have paper uh, or plastic. They actually had, they were giving everyone physical cups uh, to drink out of. And then they took them in and washed yeah. them and things like that. Um, yeah, I don't want to mess with anyone's chai recipes, so the tea bags can stay <laughs> if they need them. Yeah. I mean, some places may need a little, you know, tweaking, but, uh, you know. Yeah. Um, is there one piece of advice you would give our listeners today who are maybe struggling a little bit, kind of in a low point, um, are finding life to be difficult? I know you said one size doesn't fit all, but is there a piece of advice that yeah. if you could say, if I could tell people one thing? Yeah. Um, it is that Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala and your imam are not at any point inattentive of you. And I'll give you uh, two uh, narrations to support this. The first from Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala, he says to Dawood, he says, Ya Dawood, لَوْ يَعْلَمُ الْمُدْبِرُونَ أَنِّي كَيْفَ إِشْتِيَاقِ بِهِمْ لَمَاتُ شَوْقًا إِلَيَّ says that, O oh Dawood, if those sinners, those who have turned their backs on me, knew how much uh, how much I missed them, they would have died out of love for me. Like even the sinner, right? Even the one who has turned their back on Allah, he says, I still miss that person. So Allah is constantly thinking about you. You're never, ever alone. The second thing is your imam is always thinking about you. Um you know, one of the companions of Amir al-Mu'mineen, he's ill uh, and he can't attend the Salat al-Jama'ah. But after a week or so, he says, you know what, I'm just going to attempt to go for Jum'ah. So he goes for Jum'ah and uh, he stands behind Amir al-Mu'mineen to pray. Halfway through the second rak'ah, he begins to feel feverish, he finishes his Salah. And uh, in the end, he goes to meet Imam Ali and he says to him, Ya Ali, I'm sorry I haven't been in attendance. I've been really ill. And even during the Salah just now, I, I fell ill. And the Imam says to him, do you think that we are unaware of your state? Says, we feel your illness. Whenever you are ill, whenever one of our believers is ill, we feel that illness. When you fell ill in the Salah, I felt that illness. When you are happy, we are happy. When you are sad, we are sad. It's not just that we as followers must be sad. They feel our pain and they feel our happiness as well. So neither Allah nor the Imam is ever inattentive of you. It's only that we become inattentive of them. If we truly turn back to them, truly, with pure intentions, Allah subhanahu wa ta'ala will never push you away. This is that Lord that when Fir'aun was drowning and he called out to Musa 12 or 13 times, Musa, save me. Allah says to Musa after, says, Musa, he goes, he called you 12, 13 times and you didn't even think to go in and save him. By my majesty and my might, if he had just called me once, I would have saved him. 
You know, this is that sort of Lord that we have, that sort of creator that we have. Whatever you do, whoever it is, you know, the door is always open. It's never too late to turn back. Yeah, no, those are really two good stories to keep in mind. Um, so we usually end with a fun question. And so I will ask you, what was your favorite food you had in there? Oh, just one. Uh, oh. I guess it'll have to be Nundu. Nundu. Nundu? Can I do it? Yeah. Yeah. Nundu. Yeah. yeah. There you That's Nundu. fat for there our listeners go. who don't know. It's yes. fat. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> it's just I was fat. just like, wow, this is, this is just really <laughs> terrible. How good? They go, no, 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 just try it. Just try it. I tried it and yeah. I was like, oh, whoa, this is good. This is, this was <laughs> really good. So it's, uh, it's fully keto friendly, right? So there you yeah, go. That's true. <laughs> that's true. Thank you so much, Sheikh, for our discussion today. Before we let you go, where can people see more of your work? Uh, like your socials. I Oh, yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Instagram, I guess, is one. Uh, uh, it's Nabil underscore Ahmed Awan. Uh, that's my Instagram. And... Um, that's about it. I think someone uploads okay. or people tend to upload things onto YouTube, but uh, I don't actually have an official presence. YouTube channel. Okay. Yeah. Very nice. Join us again next month. Thank you so much to our listeners for joining us on Sukun, a Muslim wellness podcast by Nasimko. You can find our podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or on our website, www.nasimko.org. We're also proud to launch Nasimco Radio on Milad and Nabi this year, available on our website and on the Nasimco app, available on Google Play Store and at our Apple App Store. Nasimco Radio brings you the latest news, insightful discussions, and spiritual guidance from prominent scholars. Tune in for enriching content that brings communities together. Your contributions will enable us to maintain the quality and reach of Nasimco Radio and the Sukun podcast. Your support will empower us to continue fostering unity, knowledge, and spiritual growth within our community. To keep this vital work going, please consider donating under general fund on www.nasimco.org. Until next time, salam alaikum. <laughs>